We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. live we might already be live i'm looking on my end and it's telling me live video is starting so i'm going to give it a couple more seconds and hopefully hopefully you guys can hear me seconds. oh yep very good hopefully. okay so i um realized when i started uh a few minutes ago that there was not any sound so I'm like, whoopsie daisies, we better get that fixed. So uh, I want to welcome you to our very first uh, constitutional training. I developed this uh, study uh, months ago, is the beginning of uh, the year, and I've wanted to teach on it this whole time, but um, the Lord had me focus on other things, plus I've had some life events that prevented me from um, getting some of the things done that I had planned. And now here we go. And I'm very excited. You are going to be inter interested. You're going to be intrigued. Uh, it's not going to be boring. You're going to learn things that you probably never learned before. I didn't, or I don't remember. So, you know, there's that. Um, and hopefully it will educate you uh, and and help you understand the original intent of our founding fathers and the legal process that they um, went through for us to be a free nation. Okay, so it's going to be a slideshow. Um, you should see aha moments next. And what that means is that as we go through this uh, training, you're going to have moments where you're like, what? You know, they're going to stand out to you. And what I suggest is that you write those down, those things that really hit you, that really impact you, because that is probably where your passion is going to be greatest. And those are things that you will remember that you can share with others and that you can uh, use to answer questions or to persuade uh, others. So um, be aware of those and let's dive in. So the first thing is, where did our constitution come from? A lot of people forget that our founding fathers were British citizens and they had five documents that spanned 760 years, starting with King Ethelred, who was the first king of Britain. Now, 
what was interesting about um, this transition to a king is that at the time they, you know, uh, Anglo-Saxons, they were later called the British, they were struggling with the Danes and other foreign opponents. And at the time they were like more tribal in nature. So, you know, kind of like the Greek city-states where you had Athens, you had Sparta, you, you know, you had Corinth, each had their own government. They were considered their own nation or their, or what we would use the word state. That's actually a sovereign nation. So when you look at the United States, we are united sovereign nations. A lot of people don't realize that. And, um, that's, you know, that's how the founding fathers wanted us to be uh, formed because it would prevent a coalition of one nation that stripped people their rights. So if you have, you know, a state that believes in the freedom of the people, um, which is the original intent, and then you have another state that's getting crazy, well, people can move to the one that's not crazy, right? And if they get too crazy, then, you know, the federal government's supposed to step in. Uh, unfortunately, our federal government is, uh, using our documents against us, but we'll get into that later. So there are these tribal units and they recognize that they needed a common defense. Uh, they needed to have a common army. They needed to have um, the funding to equip this army. And they also needed a representative to deal with foreign nations and to make treaties and so they decided, okay, we need a king, but they wanted, this was their original intent, to maintain their independence as city, states, or communities. So the king was not to control each city, state. The king was not to control each community. The king was only to aid them in foreign affairs and uh, uh, common defense. That was it. Okay. They weren't supposed to have an EPA and a CIA and all the other alphabet, uh, things. They weren't supposed to bribe our states to do their will, uh, with money, uh, and threat of, you know, taking away those benefits. It was uh, supposed to be for foreign things and common defense. That was it. So they got their first king, who's Athelred the Unready, in 1014 AD. So the Athelred Agreement, which was a legal document, it created a limited monarchy until Edward the Confessor, his son, died without an heir. So you got Athelred, who was unready, and then you have his son, who's supposed to take over, and he does, but he doesn't have a kid that can then take over that limited uh, monarchy. So this actually ended the Anglo-Saxon line, lines of king, line of kings that fast, okay? And then it opened up a whole can of worms um, and eventually led to America becoming a free nation. So after the two Anglo-Saxon kings, uh, you then have the Normandy kings. So Edward promised the throne to a guy named Harold Godwinson. Uh, it, it was a brother-in-law, and he was a Norman. 
William the Conqueror challenged Edward in battle. Edward was killed and William the Conqueror took his throne. So the people didn't want a foreign king who did not practice limited government. So William decided to give the people free stuff. And they called him a generous king. But that was only to save his head. I mean, does it sound familiar? We've got, you know, uh, free entitlements uh, that go out to, you know, a majority. I mean, a huge majority of people in this country. We have where um, over, I think it's over 50% don't even pay into taxes. Uh, I mean, the uh, it we're repeating history because we don't know it. And so... William, being uh, from Normandy, he had a um, more traditional um, monarchy where he was the ultimate authority and whatever he wanted to do, he did it. The English, they didn't want that type of rule. They had two purposes, common defense and foreign negotiations. And so William bribed him with free stuff. He immediately... And fundamentally transformed the kingdom because he brought in his Norman traditions and he also subverted the law of the land by replacing the judges with ones who were not loyal to the common law. Because remember, the way they got the monarchy in place was the Athelred Agreement that outlined a limited monarchy. Well, then William gets in and he's like, well, I'll just put judges in the place of those that uh, believed in limited government, and they will then do what I want to do from their their you know judges uh, benches, and then he also redistributed land to his allies, and he replaced church leadership with men loyal to him. Okay, I, I want you to just think about the state of our nation today as we go through this. So this lasted for 40 years through William II, and then he was mysteriously killed in a hunting accident while hunting with his youngest brother, Henry I, who then assumed the throne. Now, Henry, um, the people were concerned that he killed William to get to the throne. So he tried to appease him by appointing his own tribunal to determine if he was guilty. So this would be like the, I don't know, FBI investigating itself, which we've had happen uh, because the Department of Justice uh, owns the FBI. And so they then investigate themselves. The attorney general being investigated is basically being investigated by his own department. Uh, The government investigating itself. I mean, we see this over and over and over uh, today. And of course, his own tribunal determined he was not guilty. And to also appease them, he ended up marrying an Anglo-Saxon wife or a, a British wife, an English wife. Well, it was during his reign that he issued the 1100, 1100 Charter of Liberties. This is the first document of the five that our founding fathers actually used. They also considered this document, this charter, for our own Bill of Rights. So remember... The Founding Fathers were British subjects until July 2nd, 1776, when the Lee Resolution 
um, by law, changed the colonies into their own sovereign states. And then July 4th, they signed the Declaration of Independence, which was considered a legal document that contains numerous grievances against the king that are basically laws the king broke, nullifying the covenant and the contract with the colonies. So it was all legal. They didn't just you know come out of you know nowhere with these plans and these ideas. They followed the legal paths, and then of course, eleven hundred Charter of Liberties uh, was also part of our Bill of Rights in the future. So one example of the charter was: if a baron or earl of mine shall die, his heirs shall not be forced to purchase their inheritance, but shall retrieve it through force of law and custom. Uh, so this outlawed a death and inheritance tax. Guess what? We have to pay a death and inheritance tax. We shouldn't, but we do anyway. Another one is, if any of my barons commit a crime, he shall not bind himself to the crown, but shall stand for the crime and make amends as are appropriate. So this means that lawmakers are supposed to be subject to their own laws. Okay, but we've had several times where they've tried to exclude themselves from their own laws. I was reading Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, and that was one of the the complaints of the people is that uh, England needed a tax to fund the uh, French-American um, War. And they wanted to tax the land, the property owners, which they were fine because they, they wanted the French to be defeated because they were stirring up the um, uh, First Nations against them. Well, the governors wanted their land and their buddies' lands to be exempt from the taxes. And so lawmakers are to be subject to their own laws. And, you know, I find it interesting that diplomats aren't. You know, to me, it's like if you're in our country and you're a diplomat, you should follow our laws and you should not be immune to them. Now, I understand the the reason behind it. It doesn't quite fit here. But lawmakers should have to go on the exchange for their health insurance. Lawmakers should have to pay the same taxes we pay, etc., etc. Now, King John was a ruthless king, and he ascended to the throne in 1199. This is the king that the Robin Hood legend is based on. His oppressive taxation was robbing people of their ability to live. In fact, I think he taxed 90%, if I'm not mistaken. But... He gave the people free stuff as well to pacify them. He also rejected a man named Stephen Langton as church bishop. And so the people rebelled because the church was supposed to be separate according to the 1100 Charter of Liberties. In other words, the king was not to uh, um, interject himself in the affairs of the clergy, of the church. It's the same thing that we have now with the separation of church and state, except it has been uh, misinterpreted and on purpose. Everybody knows that when Jefferson used that phrase, he was referring in a letter to the Danbury Baptists that the government is not to interfere in the affairs of the church. They're supposed to be separate. And that was based on the 1100 Charter of Liberties. But instead, they have twisted it to mean that the church cannot be involved with state affairs like prayer uh, during public 
uh, governmental events and in schools, et cetera, et cetera. Opening uh, of the 1100 Charter, Charters, Charter of Liberties is this. Know that by the mercy of God in the common council of the barons of the whole kingdom of England, I have been crowned king of said kingdom. And because the kingdom has been oppressed by unjust exactions, I, through fear of God and the love which I have towards you all, in the first place, make the holy church of God free. Well, I'm so glad, uh, king, that you made the holy church of God free. The only problem with that statement is it was already free because it was created by God, not man. But they didn't quite have that idea yet. Uh, So this um, behavior of King John sparked the Magna Carta of 1215, and King John was forced to sign the document. Included in the Magna Carta was the phrase, there will be no taxation without representation. This also created a council of 25 barons that laid the groundwork for a legislative body of parliament, which is still in existence today. So for the reason that there shall be no taxation without representation, um, whenever we came over and started forming the colonies, we would have governors from, from Britain. And the governors were supposed to be our representatives, but they, through greed and mismanagement, actually hurt us more than they helped us. So that's why there were governors and people sent over uh, in the early years. Also, our due process and First Amendment to redress grievances were in the 1215 Magna Carta and other things that we have in our Constitution and Bill of Rights. So then you have King Charles Charles I. Now, this king loved to, quote, romp about Europe, spending spending on his every whim and fancy. He also engaged in costly wars. It kind of reminds me of Biden. The parliament refused to fund his wasteful spending, so he dissolved the parliament three times. In other words, he'd have to go to the parliament to, you know, get approved or he'd have to, you know, report to the parliament on his spending. And they um, refused to fund it because it was wasteful. So he just got rid of them. He also issued a forced loan. So this required his knights to pay it. Those who refused were in prison. He also declared martial law in every county, and he quartered troops. Robert Koch in the House of Commons drafted drafted the Petition of Right in 1628. It reasserted no taxation without representation, no denial of due process, and that's because he just put people in prison who refused to pay a loan, and then added no martial law and no quartering of soldiers. These influenced the third, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh amendments in the U.S. Constitution. Unfortunately, they didn't remove him as king, uh, so Charles then dictated and appointed bishops in the church, which was against the 1100 charters, and that sparked the bishop wars in Scotland. He also used the pretense of war to demand that the crown should collect taxes, and he also conspired with foreign interests contrary to England. He was tried and convicted for treason and sentenced to death. So he brought a lot of turmoil, and that then brought the next document, the Grand Remonstrance of 1641. So now we're getting close to our um, 
our formation as a nation and um, the Declaration of Independence. So the drafters of this document declared a pattern and an intentional subversion of liberty by these kings. They said, quote, the root of all this mischief we find to be the malignant and pernicious design of subverting the fundamental laws and principles of government upon which the religion and justice of this kingdom are firmly established. So notice that a malignant and pernicious design of subverting the fundamental laws and principles of government. Guys, that is happening today. Okay. They're actually using our documents against us in certain situations, but they discovered this pattern. You might want to write this down. Number one, corruption of the courts. Check. Infiltration of foreign law. Check. How you say? Well, the UN, the WHO. They want a global economy, etc. Government diminishing property rights. Check. Government controlling the church. Check. Uh, government creating fiat money or paper money that's not backed up by anything. Check. And the final step is government disarming the people. Hmm. So then we have King James II. This king granted the right of indulgence, eliminating oaths of office and attempts at national conformity. He also demanded nothing be preached or taught against them, which may anyways tend to alienate the hearts of our people from us or our government. Seven bishops refused to read the indulgence as commanded, and they petitioned a redress of grievances. The bishops were charged with seditious libel, meaning that even if your statements were true, you could not say anything bad about the king. What does this remind you of? Could it remind you of the 501c3 nonprofit status where you cannot teach against the government? You cannot um, take political sides, etc., etc.? So this elicited the final document that our founding fathers used, and that was the English Bill of Rights, 1689. Quote, whereas the late King James II, by the assistance of diverse evil counselors, judges, and ministers employed by him, did endeavor to subvert and extirpate the Protestant religion and the laws and liberties of the kingdom, overturn, undermine, completely destroy. So our founding fathers lived, some of them, the majority of them, lived during this last document. They also knew their history, but there's a sixth document, and that's the Declaration of Independence. So King George II, he continued the kingly traits of ignoring the rights of his citizens, both in England and in the colonies. Then you had King George III. He also continued the same government overreach, leading to the Declaration of Independence. So we didn't invent anything. We inherited our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, and our Bill of Rights. These documents are legal documents based on the five former documents that I just outlined. So the reason that's so important is we are not an unlawful nation. We are a nation of laws. And we created these documents throughout the history from Ethelred the Unready all the way down to the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. 
we created those documents because we were fighting government overreach in the kings. When you look at the Constitution, it was we the people created the states. The states created the federal government for two purposes. To have our common defense in foreign matters. Exact same thing. Our founding fathers were trying to get us back to that original intent. And that's why they created documents that for the first time established a government that was for the people and by the people. They did an upside down. So instead of a king down, they did the people up. So, uh, or the people up and then uh, down to the federal government. This means that we, the people, are to have the most power. We then elect state representatives who are supposed to have the second level of power, states' rights, and then the federal government is supposed to be the smallest piece. I'm sure you can see how it's gotten turned upside down. Okay, so that will be uh, our lesson for tonight. And obviously with uh, Christmas coming up, uh, I will not be recording next week, but I hope that you enjoy this. And if you would like the slideshow and you would like to begin to teach on these things, uh, watch this video again, take notes. Uh, I'll send you the slides, just DM me and you can use them and educate your loved ones, your friends, and those that you think would like to learn more about this topic. Small is the new big. God is shifting from the current church structure back to his original intent and design, the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the original word that was used when Jesus was describing that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it in Matthew 16, 18. In fact, most of the time when you see church, it's actually ecclesia. The ecclesia is his ruling government on earth Go to churchshift.me, that is churchshift.me.